Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. I titled this Prayers That Can Move Mountain or How You Can Pray and Get Your Answers, uh, Your Prayers Answered Every Single Time. Because prayer can either be the most fruitful, exciting thing that you will do in any given day, or it'll be the most frustrating, fruitless, uh, heart-wrenching exercise that you do. It's either going to be the most excite, exciting, thrilling thing to do every day, or it's going to be the most belaboring, dreadful, and uh, weighing thing that you do every day. It's either going to be something you look forward to, or it's going to be something that you dread doing. And I I've met both types of people. I've met people that to spend three, four hours in prayer is nothing to them. They do it excitingly. They do it not just out of discipline. They do it out of delight. Prayer can actually start as a discipline but turn into a delight. And the way it turns into a delight is by knowing how to do it. And God does not leave us in the dark on anything, especially when it comes to communicating with him. Anything that you're going through in life, anything that life, you know, the Bible says his divine power has given to us uh, the ability that is necessary to accomplish all things that are pertinent to life and godliness. God's power, God's word, God's word is instructions for us on how to live, how to thrive where others are striving, how to do things. God doesn't just say pray and then leave you in the dark as to how to pray. He tells you to pray and then he tells you how to do it. The disciples came to Jesus. They said, teach us how to pray. What did Jesus say? No, you guys should already know how to pray. You guys have grown up in the synagogue your whole life. You'd be surprised as how many as to how many people grow up in church. They're around prayer. They've heard about prayer. They have uh, heard other people pray, but they themselves still lack in their ability to pray. Prayer is a skill. Prayer is a skill that you can develop. You can start very small. You can start uh, not being able to do it very well. You can start it at where you're at, but you can develop that skill. I'm not saying that you have to grow into some eloquent, because prayer ultimately is not going to be answered by how eloquent you are. You can be the most uneloquent person praying in a room, but if you know how to tap in to God's power through this thing called prayer, then you'll have results where other people, they can be the most eloquent. They can be the most, uh, the most talented, skillful communicators that there are, but they're not having their prayers answered because it's not about eloquence and talent, but prayer is a skill in the sense that you can know the steps to answered prayers. You can know the buttons to push for God to release a deluge, a flood of answered prayers your way. Hannah, Hannah was not skilled. First Samuel chapter one, Hannah was not the most eloquent. Matter of fact, when she was praying, Eli, the priest, the one who knew how to pray, the one who, who had been taught how to pray, the one who was actually the teacher of Israel in how to pray, he looked at her and said, this woman must be drunk. He actually criticized her praying. But what, uh, what Hannah had, Eli didn't have. Eli, he'd pray out of religious duty. He was praying out of discipline. He was praying just to pray. Hannah went in 
with the steps to receive an answer to prayer. And she prayed. And though there was no sound coming from her mouth, she was pouring out her soul before the Lord. Eli said, put wine away from you. It's so early in the morning. Why are you drunk? Matter of fact, I mean, get drunk, but at least don't come to the temple to get drunk. And she said, my, my master, I'm not drunk. I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. And that's what happened in one year? She was praying for a son. She was praying for a male child. She was praying. She had been barren for years and years and years. She had wept much. She complained much. You see, if all you do is complain about your situation, if all you do is weep about your situation, it ain't going to change your situation. I, I released a video just this last week, and I said tears. God does not respect tears, and it, it caused a steer because someone, but you know, in sincerity, they were asking. I don't understand that scripture, uh, that that statement that you made that God does not respect tears. Can you please clarify? And they did it in good heart. So I answered them. God does not respect tears in the sense that prayer is not a venting session and it's not a weeping session. Prayer is not your diary where you say, dear God, and then just complain and like vomit every single feeling you're having on God. I'm not saying there aren't times where you can, you can, Tell God how you feel, but that's not what's going to produce an intervention on your behalf. What produces a divine intervention is not tears. God does not have respect for tears. That's not to say he doesn't care about your tears. That's not to say he doesn't have compassion for your tears. That's not to say that he's not moved with deep sympathy because of your tears. But I'm not praying to get God's sympathy. I don't want God to feel bad for me. I don't want man to feel bad for me. I want to pray because I know prayer. Prayer brings results. Prayer yields wonderful results. Prayer changes things. I'm not praying to get God's sympathy. I'm praying to get God's help. And I know that's why God drew you to this broadcast today. For many years, you've been complaining about something. You Many months, you've been weeping about a situation. You've told all your friends. You've called all your contact list. You've put it on social media. You've put it on Instagram. You've put it on Facebook. People have said, we're keeping you in prayer. You can have the whole world keep you in prayer but it did not change your situation because other people can't have faith for me I've got to develop my own faith I've got to pray to God myself and when I do that the Bible says in Luke chapter 11 that God made a promise if you will ask you will receive if you will seek you will find if you will knock on the door the door will be opened to you for he goes on Jesus speaking on prayer in Luke 11 he goes on to say for everyone I want you to write that in the comment section because there's power in confession and there's power especially when you write things down because you have to intentionally do it write the word everyone down because I think some people have been deceived by the enemy into thinking that prayer only works for God's anointed oh praise the Lord he's an apostle of the faith prayer only works for the evangelist oh he's a man of prayer and prayer works for him let me just contract him to do all my praying you can't contract someone to do your praying any more than you can contract someone to do your eating you can't contract someone to pray any more than you can contract someone to do your breathing you got to breathe for yourself. You've got to eat for yourself. I can't tell someone to go and work out for me seven days a week and then expect to receive the physical benefits of them working out. I've got to work out. I've got to lift the weights. I've got to eat right. I've got to breathe. I've got to do the, all those things myself. It is my responsibility. In the same vein, when you, it, the Bible doesn't say when others pray for you. It says you, when you pray, you should go behind your the closet. You should go into the closet, close the 
the door. You should then do your praying in secret and then God gives a reward. He says, those who do their praying in secret, they shall be rewarded openly. That shows you prayer is not some religious duty. Prayer is not some discipline that we keep as adherence to the Christian faith. Prayer brings an open reward. Unbelief brings failure. Unbelief, prayerlessness is actually birthed out of pridefulness because you actually think that you can take it on. You can do it yourself. If you're not a prayerful person, you're signaling to heaven that you got it all under control, that you can do it yourself. You don't need God's help. And if you say you don't need God's help, God said he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's why prayer is a sign of humility. It's you bowing before the heavens, before God himself coming boldly into the throne room of grace and mercy knowing that he's a God of mercy he's a God who has grace to help in time of need he's a God who doesn't show favoritism he doesn't have his select few that can come and contact him and the rest have to fend for themselves no everyone who asks will receive everyone who seeks will find everyone who knocks the door will be open unto them that's the God I serve he so loved the whole world God's love is for everybody whosoever shall believe the Bible says they shall be saved whosoever it's not a select few it's whosoever if you've got faith to come to God with your request God will be faithful to perform the to perform what you need performed in your life if you'll have faith to come to God with your request God will respond if you can bring a request to God in faith backed by his word God will respond and perform that which needs to be done in your life and I see God doing that for you today in Jesus name God Gone are the days of a frustrated prayer life. Gone are the days of feeling like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. No, from today, there will be a certainty, an assurance of faith that when you pray, you know you're praying biblically because I'm going to show you the keys to biblical prayers keys to having a, a, a an effective prayer life i'm going to show you keys as to why prayers i'm going to show you reasons as to why prayers go unanswered and then i'm going to show you keys as to how to get your prayers answered and as you implement see if all you do is sitting sitting right now and just receiving this is informational oh, that's nice oh Praise the Lord, what a great word. It's not gonna do anything for you. The word of God has no value in just hearing it. The word of God's value is in its application. So if you hear what I'm speaking today and begin to apply it, apply it to your prayer life. And the good news about prayer is you don't have to wait for the next revival service to start doing it. You don't have to wait for the next prayer service at your church to start doing it. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You can get on your knees after this broadcast and begin to implement these things that I'm talking about today and have immediate immediate change just like Hannah you know Hannah when she prayed and Eli came and criticized her but then realized she was praying and he said by this time next year you'll hold your child Hannah nothing did she get pregnant no she had to go and sleep with her husband she didn't get pregnant right on the spot but Hannah gets up from that spot where she had been weeping pouring out her soul before the Lord praying to God in desperation and in faith asking God for a male child based on the covenant that God had made with Israel you know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 28, uh, in Exodus 23, that none of your women shall be barren. So she, I'm sure she was using that scripture when she was praying. Lord, you said none of your women shall be barren. I've served you. I refuse to stay barren. I require and I request a male child by this time next year. Eli says you'll have it. Well, in that very moment, she didn't, she didn't automatically conceive. She, wasn't, uh, she didn't have conception immaculately by the Holy Ghost like Mary did. But why did she get up and all of a sudden everything changed? She wiped her tears away and she went and ate she 
hadn't ate in many she hadn't eaten in many days she was starving herself she wasn't fasting she was starving her, herself you know there's some people that they're so there's a, a level of depression you can get where you you don't have an appetite there's a level of anxiety you can reach where you don't have an appetite I remember when I was in the world and anxiety I had generalized anxiety I had OCD there was times where unless I smoke pot or something i would not have an appetite i'd have to force feed myself i went down to like 126 pounds i wasn't i was like a stick a walking stick and so hannah was like that her depression the sorrow brought her heaviness of heart she didn't want to eat and when she prayed and got an answer in her spirit you see the answer comes to your spirit before you start to see it in the in the in the, in the manifestation in the outward manifestation that's why jesus said in mark eleven twenty four. therefore whatever things you pray whatever things you desire when you pray believe that you have them believe that you have them believe that you have them and you shall have it you shall receive it so you have when hannah prayed she believed in that very moment i have my child even though i haven't slept with my husband yet i know that when i do that i'm having my child i'm not being delayed any longer i'm not having to wait any longer i'm not pushing this off another moment i have my child now before she conceived samuel in her womb she conceived samuel in her spirit and that's why she had an answer to prayer so nothing changed on the outside immediately but on the inside Hannah was a totally different person. And that's what this broadcast is going to do for you today. You're going to leave this place being equipped supernaturally by his word to pray as a prayer warrior, an effective prayer warrior. And though nothing might change immediately on day one on the outside, there will be a joy and a peace on the inside that's going to carry you through in Jesus' name. If you believe that, just write out amen in the comment section. James chapter 4, let's get in it. James chapter 4, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Welcome to the broadcast, by the way, if you just tuned in. If you would share this broadcast, you'd be a great help to me. Um, I'm glad to be back on today. I miss you all. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and don't have. You murder and covet and can't obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have... Because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive, verse 3 says. Because you ask amiss. Or you ask wrongly. Or you ask with improper motives. That you might spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers. Adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to make himself a friend of this world has made himself an enemy of God. I want to go through seven reasons why prayers, before I move on to keys as to how to get your prayers answered, seven reasons that I've written down why prayers do not get answered. And it's very important, before you can fix something, you got to realize what's wrong. I don't go to a garage to get my car fixed unless that check engine light comes on. Unless I hear something going wrong. So if you don't know something's wrong, and the, reason, the way you can know something's wrong with your prayer life is it's not producing any results. Let me remind you what James chapter 5 says. The Bible says in James chapter 5, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
And the prayer of faith will save the sick. So the prayer of faith is going to produce something. The prayer of faith in this, in this instance is going to heal the sick. So if your prayer life is not producing results, then there's something wrong. I don't go into a grocery store with a car and just roam through the aisles of the grocery store and I'm just going through and, I, and the clerk comes to me and says, is there anything you need in particular? No, just, just roaming. You had nothing else to do today, just going through the grocery store. They'd think I'm a loony bin. They'd throw, who does that? Man, if I was at a zoo, maybe I'm just walking around looking at animals or at a museum looking at, at some artifacts or whatnot, that would be okay. But if I'm in a grocery store, nobody in their right mind goes to a grocery store just to roam the aisles, just to see, you know, just to see what people are selling these days. No, you don't do that. When someone goes to a grocery store, what do you have? You have a list. You carry a list. You know what you're there for. You know why you're, and then, when you have the list you see you spot the item that you want you take it off the shelf you put it in your cart you get to the checkout lane you buy it and you go home and eat it well that's a lot like how prayer is to be you have a list that you're coming to God with today that you need things to change that unless God moves on your behalf nothing's gonna change and I'm not just roaming in prayer I'm a, you know people say well what are you praying for I'm just praying just to pray and I'm, don't get me wrong there's a time to pray for just to uh, fellowship with God there is a uh, a time of worship that you're just fellowshipping with God telling him how much you love him but I'm not addressing that type of prayer see there is different types of prayer that we see in the Bible and just like there are different sports in real life there's different sports there's basketball there's soccer there's football I can't take the laws that are um that that are uh, uh I can't take the ruling system of or the legal the, the laws of basketball and implement them in soccer. I'd get a red card and thrown out of the game. Because in basketball, I can pick the ball up and dribble it. In soccer, you can't touch that ball with your hands. That's called uh, a red card and an immediate expulsion from the game. In the same vein, I can't take the laws of football and implement them in basketball. Because if someone was playing basketball and I said, well, I'm going to choose the laws of football today and I just tackled the heck out of that guy and throw him to the ground, I'd get kicked out of the game. I'd have uh, expulsion maybe from the whole sport. Wouldn't be able to play another game that, that year in the league. In the same vein, there are different types of prayer and there are different laws that govern each type of prayer what are some types of prayer number one there's the prayer of thanksgiving that's where you're just coming to god and you're thanking him for what he's done thanking him for who he is thanking him for what he shall do number two there is a prayer of fellowship i just talked about a worship session where you're just worshiping god for who he is just just um you know almost like soaking in the goodness of god just marveling at and in awestruck wonder of all that who he is how he's the alpha and the omega how he's the beginning and the end how he's the one that split the sea so the israelites walked in on dry ground that's a prayer of fellowship then there is the 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 prayer of consecration that's what jesus prayed in the garden of gethsemane he came to jesus he came to god and he bowed his face to the ground and he said lord I'm not interested in going to this cross because it's going to be very hard. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If this cup can pass from me, if there's another way to obtain salvation for mankind, let it be done. But if not, not mine will, thine be done. That's the prayer of consecration where you're consecrating yourself to God. Paul said it this way in Romans 6. We are no longer to be 
we're no longer to present our bodies as weapons to sin or as instruments to sin any longer. We are to be presented to God now, alive from the dead, and the members of our body as weapons of righteousness to use for God, to the to the use of, of God's uh, plan and program. The Bible says in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul told Timothy that there are many vessels in a house, some for honor, some for dishonor. But if you'll cleanse yourself from sin and consecrate yourself to God, you will be a vessel for honorable use, sanctified and useful to the master in every good work. That's the prayer of consecration. Lord, I am not living for myself any longer. I'm not doing what I want to do. I am a slave of Christ. Your will is my is, is my command. Whatever you desire me to do, I will do. No matter how hard it is, no matter the obstacles, no matter the hindrances, no matter the op opposition, I will live for you. I've picked up my cross. I have denied myself. I'm going to follow you to the end. Even if all are made to fall and stumble, I will never stumble. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The Bible says in Revelation that they overcame the devil because of what? The blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and another part that many people seem to forget from that verse, they did not love their life even unto death. They had handed their life. They didn't believe their life was their own any longer. Paul said it this way, it's no longer I who lives, Christ now lives in me. I'm a slave of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where he pulls me, I go. That's the prayer of consecration. But today we're talking about the prayer of petition, the prayer of request. Philippians 4, 6 says that we are not to be anxious for anything, but rather we are to make our requests known to God. So how do you effectively do that? Well, first, like I said, you need to diagnose your prayer life. You need to take an examination of your prayer life. You should take a seat back and Look over your prayer life. Has it produced what you've wanted it to produce? Have you been praying for something for 28 years and it still hasn't happened? Maybe, just maybe, there's a tweak that needs to happen for it to kickstart something into motion. I talk about this all the time. There's loose connections. You have a Christmas tree. You have lights on that Christmas tree. You go and plug in the Christmas tree. The lights do not flicker like you wanted them to flicker. They do not flash like you wanted them to flash. They're not on. Why? All the lights are good except for that one loose connection. The moment you tighten up that loose connection, all the lights come back on. Some people have a loose connection in prayer. So when I go through these seven reasons why prayers go unanswered, pay special attention. And maybe I'll be addressing the very thing that you need to shift in your prayer life today that when you do, the things that you thought God was just delaying the answer. And matter of fact, he's been wanting to get the answer to you for 30 years now. You have to tweak this. As you shift that into motion, you'll see answered prayers such as you've never had before. Listen to this. The effective fervent, James 5.16. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man brings forth many wonderful results. So prayer brings results. We're not praying just to pray. We're not praying just to... Uh, you know, fulfill some religious duty we have to, to, to hit your quota for the day, to keep a smile on the, the, uh, God's face upstairs. No, we're praying specifically because we know from the scriptures that holy men of God in times past, they prayed in faith and we consider the outcome of their faith as a reason for us now to pray in faith all the same. So what are some reasons? Number one, Number one, 
reason why prayers goes, go unanswered is failing to deal with and repent of sin. Psalm 66, 18. I'm going to quote a lot of scripture today because I, I don't want you just to, you know, sometimes I, I just quote, I'm going to read a lot of scriptures, what I meant to say. Sometimes I just quote it and people think that I'm blowing smoke. It's not actually in there. Well, I'm going to quote it for you. Psalm 66, 18. This is what the Bible says. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard, meaning if I don't get rid of sin, if I'm practicing a lifestyle of sin, if I'm content in living in sin, God will not hear me. The Bible says he who covers his sin will never prosper. If you hide your sin, if you think it's going unnoticed, it might go unnoticed to man, but it's not going unnoticed to God. God sees all things. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place. He keep his, keeps watch on the good and on the evil. God is not ignorant to anybody's sin. The Bible says that uh, all creation is laid bare and naked to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You might be able to cover up your sin like Achan did in Joshua 7 towards Israel and towards Joshua who was the, the man of God in Israel. The man of God didn't even point it out. But the Bible says when they went to Ai and were defeated, Joshua came to God and said, Lord, you said that nobody would be able to stand before us all the days of our life. You said that you would answer our prayer, but we have had an unanswered prayer. We got defeated by an army. We're humiliated. Word's going to go out now that Israel has lost against a weak army, that God has forsaken us now, and they're going to come in and ransack us, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get destroyed. Armies are going to come together. They heard about what you did for us in Egypt, and now there's a fear in the land concerning Israel, but now we lost against this little army. They're going to think God lifted his hand from our life. You know what God said? Why are you crying out to me? There's sin in the camp. I can't answer you because there's sin in the camp. I can't give you victory because there's sin in the camp. I can't bring you forward because there's sin in the camp. And he said, be sure your sin will find you out. So what did God say? Get rid of the sin. He found Achan by the word of knowledge, destroyed the articles of gold and silver and the clothing that he had taken that God explicitly said, do not touch it. Destroyed Achan and his whole family. They, the Bible says they stoned them and then burnt them up. That's, I mean, you got to think of how violent how harsh of a reaction Joshua had towards sin. He did not tolerate sin. He did not, he wasn't content with sin living even close to him. He did not put up with sin. You understand this one thing and it'll change your life. It's not our standard of holiness that we live by. It's his standard of holiness that we are to live by. So even if you think it's not wrong, ah, a little, it's not harmless, ah, a little bit here, a little bit there, it's not harmless. You might think it's not harmless, but God hates sin. God cannot tolerate sin, and any doctrine that makes you comfortable in sin is a doctrine birthed in hell, and it'll send you right to hell. Not only will your prayers not be answered, if you go without repenting of sin, the Bible says we are to believe and repent of our sin so that we might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So salvation doesn't just come by believing. Well, you're, you sound like you're talking about like a works-based doctrine. 
That God won't save us unless we work for our salvation. I'm not talking about working for your salvation. I'm talking about the faith that produces a work in you so that you repent from the things that irritate God and you've turned directions. Repentance, it literally means to make a 180 degree turn. Faith produces result. Faith produces proof. Faith produces evidence. James said it this way, if your faith has no works, it's fake. Just like the body cannot survive without a heart that is beating, even so faith is dead without works. So it's not the work, we're not working to be saved, but now that we're saved, the proof of that salvation is there's a change of heart in you where you don't want to do the things that you used to do. David said it this way in Psalm 101. He said, I will not put anything wicked before my eyes. And those that are evildoers around me, I will cut them off out of my life. I will not tolerate sin. David said it in another place. He said, when I kept quiet about my sin, my vitality was drained away. It, it, I was, my energy, my strength was drained away. But when I confessed my sin and acknowledged my sin to God, he healed me and he changed my life. He turned me around. So if you... Fail to deal with the sin in your life. Then you're never going to have your prayers answered. You're never going to have a fruitful prayer life. We can go on on and on. Proverbs 28.9 says, He that turns his ear from hearing the words of the law, his prayers are an abomination to God. But he that delights in keeping God's will, in the book of Proverbs it says, his prayers are a delight to God. So your prayers can either be an irritant to God, an abomination to God, or your prayers are going to be a delight for God to answer and to move on your behalf. Second Chronicles chapter 15, listen to this. Second Chronicles chapter 15. Second Chronicles chapter 15. I mean, think of how harsh Jesus dealt with sin in his day when he was on the earth, how he taught on sin. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, it's not that harmless. Just understand, you know, God sees your heart. No, pluck it out and cast it far from you. It's better that you should enter into life with one eye than you having two eyes and burn in hell for an eternity. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. It's better that you should enter into life maimed than having two eyes and, 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 and burning for eternity in hell if your foot causes you to foot cut it off so he deals with the eye the hand and the foot what does that tell you the things that you look at if you're looking at pornography don't expect your prayers to be answered if you're looking at wicked movies that are full of adultery and sex and sin don't expect now you can just close the Netflix, go into your prayer closet and say, well, where were we, Lord? Father, I just pray that you'd bless me today. You can't sow the seed of sin and reap a life of blessing. You cannot sow the seed of sin and reap a life of blessing. Joshua said, I've set before you life and death. I've set before you blessings and cursing. Oh, that you would choose life that both you and your descendants would live. So Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, the things that you see, you have to choose to look away. Don't tolerate it in your home. Don't tolerate it. Avoiding taxes in your business and then expecting God to bless your business. It ain't gonna work. Give to Caesars what are Caesars. Give to God what is God's and then God will bless you. Then he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Well, your hand is what you do. 
If you're doing something that is not pleasing God, remember, faith pleases God. Without it, you cannot please God. Faith pleases God. The Bible says that uh, without faith, you cannot please God. So if you're doing actions of faith, you're not pleasing God. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it far from you. What you're doing, if your habits are not pleasing to God, quit it. Turn away from it. Pass on. The Bible says, turn away from the path of sin. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn from it and pass on. Number three says, if your foot causes you to sin, that's where you go. Where you spend your time. You think you can spend three hours every night at the bar and then expect God to bless you? It ain't going to work that way. You think you can, you, can, you can spend your time going to all kinds of nasty places and expect God to bless you? It don't work that way. So it's where, what you look at, what you do, and where you walk. That Jesus, he didn't say, you know, I don't expect you to be perfect. He said, you should be perfect even as my Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I'm not saying some people hear this and they think, well, man, this guy is preaching like he never makes mistakes a day in his life. I'm not saying you'll never make a mistake. I'm talking about intentionally going in the direction that sin is taking you on, on the path that sin is taking you on. I've preached this many times before. There's a, a pathway of sin that leads to death. And then there is a highway of holiness. Perfection is not a destination. It is a highway that you march on. It is a path that you stick to. It's that if you did screw up, you pick yourself up. A righteous man can fall seven times. He picks himself up and he goes back onto the pathway of holiness, the highway of holiness, and he keeps himself perfect. Paul said it this way. I'm not saying that I've obtained perfection yet, but one thing I do, I forget the things that are behind. I pick myself up. I don't consider what I've done and what I've messed up on. I look and fix my eyes on Jesus and I keep on marching in holiness. Isaiah 15, uh, well first, let me do 2 Chronicles 15. This is what the Bible says in verse 2. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. That's why James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, the Bible says. Purify your hearts and your minds, you double-minded. So the Bible says you can, you can be far from God. I just feel like I'm far from God. It's not because God moved. God is in the same place he's always been. The Bible says that if you feel distance from God, it's because you moved. But the Bible says you can draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? Two ways. Cleanse your lives, you sinners. That's what James 4, 8 says. Put, t- get rid of sin before sin gets rid of you. Cut sin out of your life before sin cuts you out of life. And then number two, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be intent. I will follow the Lord. I will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Though none go with me, we will serve the Lord. When you have those two things in place, cut sin out of your life and your intent now to run the race that is set before you with perseverance, not looking in any other direction, but keeping your eyes on him who's the author and perfecter of your faith. That's how you draw near to God. You don't have to be confused as to how, well, how do you draw near to God. Very simple. You do those th- two things, you'll draw near to God. The Bible says if you forsake God, by living a life of sin, he'll forsake you. He's got no obligation to answer. The Bible actually says in Proverbs that God is far from the wicked. 
but he hears the prayers of the righteous. God has no obligation to answer the prayers of a man who is living in habitual sin and refuses to repent of it. He has no obligation. He is not bound by his word to do it. He's bound to the prayers of the righteous. The Bible says the expectation of the righteous shall not be cut off. Don't expect anything. Don't expect anything in prayer to happen for you if you're intent in living a lifestyle of sin. But if you're living a righteous life, if you're living in holiness, if your life and the motivation of your life, your heart is to please God in your conduct, then you should expect God to move on your behalf. So number one, failure, failure to repent of sin. Number two, reason why prayer goes un, prayers go unanswered. Number two, wrongful treatment towards your spouse. This is a huge one. Wrongful treatment towards your spouse. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, your wife, with understanding, giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to your wife, giving honor to your wife, giving honor to your wife, not backbiting your wife, not speaking ill of your wife every chance you get. You get around your friends at work or around, uh, you go out to, to, to lunch with your friends, your coworkers, and they're complaining about their wives and you speak, start speaking out and start talking about your wife. Uh, you know, she never cleans the dishes. She never washes the car. She never, you know, just start yapping off and spewing out all kinds of dishonoring statements concerning your spouse. The Bible says you do that, your prayers will be hindered. That's Peter, the apostle of Christ speaking that. He tapped into a prayer secrets. The reason why some people cannot ever have a prayer answered is because they're abusive to their own spouse. And I'm talking about wife, uh, uh, wives, you two with husbands. There's some wives that abuse their husbands openly. I know some of them. You play a board game with them. I, you're so stupid. In, I mean, I'm, I'm right here. I'm, I'm a stranger to you. We're, you know, not a stranger, but we're friends playing a board game. And I hear you talk about your husband that way. Oh, you're so stupid. Why'd you do that? What? I mean, and you expect God to answer your prayer? The Bible says, husband, honor your wives. Ephesians 5, let me read this. Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to the Christ, uh, subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. A lot of husbands love to quote that, but let's go on to the next verse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself to her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that he sh that she should be holy and without blemish so husbands you ought to love your own wives as your own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it even as the lord does the church for this reason 
Uh, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined together with his, his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's very easy to have a blissful marriage. Very easy to have a pleasant marriage. Very easy to have an enjoyable marriage. If you follow the Ephesians 5 program, you will not have a hard marriage. You have your responsibility as one part of the marital spectrum or whatever. You're, the, you're a husband, you're a wife. As a husband, the Bible says, I am to love my wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He loved the church by giving himself for her. He put his desires second. He put the church's desire first. He laid down his life for the church. He said no greater love than this than he that lays down his life for his friends. The Bible says the same love God demonstrated towards the church, we ought to demonstrate towards our, our wives. Then it says, wives, you ought to submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. So as, church, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. When you're a husband, is, uh, the Bible says, is, is, is the head of the home, as a wife, I'm telling you, if you will be submissive to your, your husband, if you will subject your will to your husband and support your husband instead of backbiting and lashing back on everything that he says, you're going to find very quickly that even if he's not very nice to you now, that love is going to melt his heart towards you. That love is going to melt his heart towards you where he'll start to change his tune with you. Even at the beginning, if he's still hostile, still, you know, having a hard time getting, around, getting along with you and all that. When you follow the Ephesians 5 program to say, you know what? He's, I married him. He's my husband. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to subject myself to his will, obviously within the confines of holiness. We're not subject to him above God. We're subject to God first, but then we're subject to him. So even if, you know, he says we're moving here and I don't like it, we're going to move. You're going to find very quickly that his tone will change with you. It'll change. So I got into this whole rabbit trail, but my point in saying this is that maybe that was for somebody. But my point in saying this is that if you have wrongful treatment for your spouse, you are not going to have any prayers answered. If you are walking in, in bitterness and hate and have destructive thoughts and words towards your spouse, you will cut off the communication line between you and heaven. And there'll be nobody to blame for it but you. You can't emotionally abuse your wife who is the princess of God and expect God to not deal harshly with you. Very dangerous to touch a daughter of God. Very dangerous. If you're a man and you beat your wife, not only will God not answer your prayer, you're treading very dangerous waters and it'll be very soon that God will strike you down. I'm telling you. Because God will not tolerate his own child, his daughter, his, his son being smacked down relentlessly. 
And if nobody will stand up for them, God will stand up for them. So treat your spouse right. Treat your spouse the way you want God to treat you. Your wife wants a, a piece of clothing? Nah, you don't deserve it. What have you done for me? Okay, then you go and ask God for something. What do you think he'll say? You don't deserve it. What have you done for me? God is a very jealous God. And he's a zealous God. And he's a very uh, protective God. And he doesn't enjoy any of his children or anybody created in his image being tossed around and slapped around. So be very conscious how you treat your spouse. Number three reason why prayers go unanswered is failing to ask in faith. This is huge. James chapter one. James chapter one. James the first chapter and beginning with verse Two, my brethren, count it all joys when, joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So that's what is that? Ask of God. That's prayer. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Pray to God. He will give to you liberally without reproach he won't rebuke you for asking and it will be given to you verse six pay special attention to verse six but let him ask in faith with no doubting not with some doubting with no doubting don't let doubt pollute your faith and as such render your life of prayer useless guard your faith guard your heart above all things for out of it flows the issues of life. If you let doubt permeate your heart, how does doubt permeate your heart? When you don't take authority to the thoughts that contradict the word of God, when they attempt, to, now a thought can come into your mind, but whether it stays in your mind or you cast it out is dependent on you. The Bible says, let him ask in faith, not doubting. If a doubtful thought comes into your mind, just like a bird can fly over your head, but you don't have to have it make a nest in your hair. A bird can fly over your head, but it doesn't have to nest in your hair. In the same vein, a doubt can fly through your mind, but you can do like Paul said, cast every thought uh, down, every imagination down, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If the thought violates the integrity of scripture it has no business in your mind you have no business entertaining that thought it'll only breed fear and when you pray in fear it produces zilch but when you pray in faith it produces what the bible promises it will produce let him ask in faith not doubting for he who doubts is like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind what does that mean just like a wave rises and a wave sinks somebody who's living in doubt is just as unstable. They're up and they're down and they're all around. There's no stability in their life. One day, oh man, I, I really believe when I prayed, God's, God's gonna answer that prayer. Then the next day, because they don't have the heart, the word of God rooted in their heart, ah oh man, I, I really don't know what I'm gonna do. I, I really should make a plan B, a plan C, because I don't know how I'm gonna make my way out of this one. Yeah, I know God pr can protect and God can save, but, and then you, you know, they're nervous people. Their legs are shaking. They're nervous people. They're biting their nails. You know, the Bible says, he that believeth will not make haste. Do you know what the Bible says? He that believes will not make haste. Haste is an old King 
James word for saying uh, for, that means like they won't be nervous, they won't be worried, they won't be nervous. Some they won't be full of anxiety. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. When faith is alive in your heart, there's no anxiety, there's no distress, there's no lack of peace, there's no lack of joy. Romans fifteen thirteen says that the God of hope will what he will fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him faith produces joy faith produces peace when someone's praying in doubt you can tell right away father i just i just pray that i just pray that you'd get this done i don't know how you're gonna do it but i just that's doubt you can tell there's no faith tied to that when someone prays in faith this is how it sounds father you said in your word that's a, a man, a prayer of faith, a man of faith, a woman of faith will always start their petition by stating this, God, you said in your word. You know, I was reading something yesterday and it talked about Charles Finney, um, who, who, who kickstarted one of the great awakenings in the United States. Charles Finney in his journal would document many times in prayer. He would have such a faith and boldness that would arise in him that he would approach God saying this. He would say, God, I do not hope that you think you can deny my request. Charles Finney, who started an awakening. So until you start an awakening in the United States or in the nation that you're in, you really don't have any qualifications to criticize Charles Finney. Charles Finney said, I would approach God and say, God, I hope you don't think that you can deny my request. I mean, you think of the courage and boldness and the absolute confidence he has in his heart that God has integrity and that he's faithful to perform. He said, he would go on to say, I have come with your faithful promises in my hand, and I know I cannot be denied. When you come with the word of God in your hand, you can't be denied. Because God said, I have honored my word above my own name. God honors his word above his own reputation. God honors his word above his own, his own reputation, his own name. And that's why when you have the word of God in your heart, you, there's a holy confidence and boldness that rises up in you that you know that you know that you know. I cannot and I will not be denied. Why do you think Jesus, when he came to those two blind men in Matthew chapter 9, they were crying out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus called them to himself. They came to him in the house and the Bible says Jesus asked them a question. He said, do you believe that I, the son of man, am able to do this? Do you believe that I am able to do this? Why, did, why didn't he just touch their eyes and say, be made whole? Why didn't he just spit on their eyes like he did to someone else and put clay on their eyes and say, go and wash in the pool of Salem, you'll come, and, you'll come back and wash. You'll go wash and come back seen. Why did he say, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Why did Jesus even care? Because he wanted them to have a confession of faith. Yes, Lord, we believe. Because without faith, you cannot please God. The Bible says it's by faith that we believe that God exists, that he is who he says he is. See, if you're just believing God to, to, to heal your body, but you don't believe that he's a healer, then that, that prayer has no faith back in it and it will not produce anything. But faith believes not only that God exists, faith doesn't just believe that God is somewhere in the heavens, somewhere in the universe, and hopefully he'll hear my prayer. Faith believes that he exists. Faith believes that he is who he says he is. Faith believes that he's too faithful to fail. And then Hebrews eleven six 6 says, faith believes that God is a rewarder 
of those who diligently seek him. Faith believes that God rewards. That's why he said, do you believe that I'm able to, that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, we believe. Then as your faith is, so be it unto you. Your prayer life will be limited by one thing, the measure of faith you have in your heart. The good news is, is that you can grow your faith. God has dealt to each man a measure of faith at salvation, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. But what you do with that measure of faith is absolutely dependent on you. You can grow your faith. How does faith grow? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And faith groweth by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul told the Thessalonian church, I heard of your faith and how it groweth exceedingly. Their faith was growing. You can grow your faith. So if you have little faith today, don't get discouraged. Pick up your Bible. Start to read the word. And as you do, and you pay attention. Don't read it like it's some time, time magazine or Newsweek magazine where you're just reading to collect information. Read it as God's very own word to you. Collect the promises that are in it. Write it down in a book. This book has promises galore. Thousands of them. And each promise is a proof of what God is able to perform. Each promise of God that is listed in the Bible is a proof of what God is able and willing to perform for you. So collect the promises. Isaiah said it this way. I believe it's in chapter 34 and verse 16. Isaiah said, search ye out in this book of the law and read it. None of its promises shall fail. For my mouth has spoken it and my spirit shall gather it. So the book called the Bible is a collection of God's promises to you. Not to everyone but you, to you. And as you search out these promises in this book and write them down, here's a good, uh, a good uh, practice to do for praying. Whatever your desire is, locate in the Bible scriptures that prove God wants you to have that. Because that's what the promises is. The promises are. The promise that God puts in the Bible, when you locate a promise in the Bible, when you see that God wants to heal you, what God wants to prosper you, God wants to give you peace. Now that you've located that, you have evidence to bring before God and say, Lord, I know that this is what you will for me to have. And I'm asking you now to give it to me. I'm putting you in remembrance of the things you already promised that I would have. I'm stating my case from your word and I will not be denied because it's your word that you said is forever settled in the heavens. And now that I've settled in my heart that it's true, settle that in my life. The promises of God are proof of what God is willing to perform for you. So whatever you desire, Whatever it is, if you can locate the promise in Scripture. Now, if you can't locate the promise in Scripture, you have absolutely no business praying for it. If you can't find a Scripture that backs up your request, you have no business praying for that, for that thing. You might as well drop it. You can't just pray for anything. You can pray for anything according to His will, which God's Word is His will made manifest. And once you have his will from his word, then you know, God has, you can picture it this way, God gave you a blank check signed with the name of Jesus Christ, note, right to you, 
and you can fill it out with any promise that you've located in this Bible. And if you believe it and you have faith to receive it and believe that when you ask, you have the thing that you've asked of, God will bring it to you. So failure to ask in faith is the reason why people have their prayers go unanswered. The Bible says in James chapter 1, and I'll finish what I was reading. James chapter 1, verse 7. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the seas, waves of the sea tossed to and fro. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I'm reminded of that scripture in 2 Kings 7, where Elisha gave the word of the Lord. That by this time tomorrow, the economy of Israel is going to get kick-started back. And the... the Though people were literally going and resorting to cannibalism prior to this, when Elisha said, by this time tomorrow, uh, a sale of barley and a sale of flour is going to be sold for such and such a price. It's like saying, today gas is $19 a gallon. By this time tomorrow, by the word of the Lord, it'll go down to 40 cents a gallon. The, the chief economist who was in the king's court looked to the king and said, even if God were to open up the windows of heaven, such a thing could never be. Elisha said, you will surely see it with your eyes, but you will not taste of it. The next day, he was put in charge. When, when the word of the Lord came true, he was put in charge with the, daily, with the distribution of the food now because there was such an abundance. And the Bible says, when the people came in, they crushed him. They trampled him underfoot and he died. He indeed saw the promise come, but he never tasted of it. When you pray in unbelief, you'll see other people reap miracle harvest, but you yourself will be stranded. Because unbelief, faith brings a reward. Unbelief brings failure constantly, time and time again. Failure to ask in faith is a main reason why people have uh, their prayers go unanswered. Number four, refusal to obey God's word and God's basic instructions. Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7 and beginning with verse 11. Zechariah chapter 7 and beginning with verse 11. Here it is. But they refused to heed and shrugged their shoulders and they stopped their ears so that they would not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like a flint. Refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts sent by the, his spirit through the former prophets Thus the wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened. Listen to this. Zechariah 7.13. Therefore it happened that just as God proclaimed and they would not hear. So they called out and God would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as God proclaimed and they would not hear. So now they've called out to God and God said, I will not listen. I quoted it before in Proverbs 29, uh, 28 verse 9. He that turns his ear away from the words of the law, his prayer is an abomination to the Lord. In this new covenant, we have a basic instruction that Jesus gave us before he departed from this earth. Matthew 28, 18 and 19. He said, therefore, let this gospel be preached in all the nations. Teach all men. Making the, Let me read it. I'm like butchering the Great Commission, which I should know. 
I do know it, but I'm having a mind slipped. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19. Therefore go ye, there, go ye therefore into all the nations, baptizing the people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. That's Jesus' basic instructions to his people, his church. Go after the lost. Make a habit of soul winning. Preach the gospel. Jesus gave us a basic instruction to carry out. If we do not carry that out, God has no obligation to perform answers to our prayers. Just as he asked you to do something and you would not listen, so you will ask him to do something and he will not listen. Zechariah 7, 13. Bible says Jesus enjoyed answered prayers constantly because he always did those things that were pleasing in God's sight. Matthew, uh, John chapter 8 and verse 29. The Father is always with me because I always do those things that please him. He always does, does those things that please him. That's why Jesus was able to go to the tomb of Lazarus and the Bible says, though Lazarus had been dead ten, uh, four days, Jesus prayed before he called Lazarus' name. He said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Jesus was able to say and be confident that God always heard his prayers because Jesus always, always was on the go fulfilling the agenda of God for him. If God told you to do something, most people are stagnant in their prayer life because they failed to carry out a basic instruction that God told them to do 15 years ago. God said to move, and you haven't moved. And now you're, you're praying. Until you followed and carried out that instruction, you're not entitled or a candidate to make further requests on God's behalf. Ask God where the last instruction is that you received from him that you failed to carry out was. Ask him, what, Lord, if there's anything I haven't done that you told me to do, remind me of it, and I'll get it done. And when you do that, you'll see how quickly the heavens will open over your life and everything you've been praying for that you thought the devil was holding it back, you thought that God was holding it back, you thought that demons that are assigned to your life were holding it back, when in fact, it was just your lack of obedience that was holding back the answer to your prayers. Lack of obedience. That's why Deuteronomy 28 says, if thou shalt diligently obey his voice and be careful to carry out his instructions, all these blessings will fall upon you. The devil is defeated. His demons followed suit and are defeated. God is a good God and doesn't withhold good from anyone that is walking uprightly. So if there's something that's blocking the pipeline of heaven, you have to act like a plumber today. Find out what it is. Where did I? Maybe I missed something. And if I did, Lord, bring it to my memory. I'll correct it. And when you do that, and Jesus said, he that has my instructions and keeps them, he's the one that loves me, and I will come to him and manifest myself to him. So if you refuse to carry out God's basic instruction, then God will refuse to carry out your basic requests. But when you carry out God's basic instructions, which is global evangelism, the Great Commission, leading people to Christ, 
If you're, if you're like, well, Lord, I, I, I don't remember you telling me to do anything specifically, and I'm still waiting on what your will is, you want to know what God's will is? Seek the lost, save the lost at any cost. You want to know what God's will is? God desires no men to, be, to, to, to perish, but all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You want to know what God's will is? God is being patient towards the lost, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Follow God's general will. And anything that's been clouding up access to his specific will for your life will be opened up and you'll, you'll, you'll find it out. Number four, refusal to obey God's basic instruction. Number five, contradicting the prayers you pray by the words you speak after you pray. Why do prayers go unanswered? Because people contradict the prayers they pray in faith by speaking doubt and unbelief after they've left that place of prayer. You go and you start praying, God, I pray that this year that you'd crown the year with goodness and that the paths would drop down to do. Father, your word says that, you, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, that it starts off small, but you increase us and you, you propel us and multiply us and flourish us. Father, I thank you that these next couple of months are going to be flourishing months, that we're going to see increase in every measurable metric. We thank you for it. We call it done in advance in Jesus' name. Then you get out. You know, I don't know how this, this last part of the year is going to turn out. Man, it seems like things are getting harder. You just uprooted the seed of faith that you sowed in prayer. By the words that you spoke after you prayed. You can't, you can't pray in faith and speak in doubt and expect to receive a harvest that faith brings. You have to, that's what double-mindedness is. Which James 1 says that double-minded man should not receive anything from the Lord. He gets into an anointing, starts to pray in faith. Then he's out in a workplace, gets around the water cooler with some of his friends. They start talking about the reports of this world, start talking about how times are hard, and then because you just want to relate with them and you want to befriend them and you want to be uh, relevant to them, you start to totally negate the effect of your prayer as you join in on their foolish talking. Be single-minded. What I say and what I am in prayer, I say and I am outside I pray. Outside I pray. I'm not a lion in prayer and then a kitty cat when I come out of prayer. I am a lion in prayer and I am a lion outside of prayer. I am a man of faith while I pray and I am a man of faith outside, outside of my prayer, my prayer closet. I'm not a camouflage chameleon Christian that in church I'm one way and then outside of church I'm another way. Absolutely not. Bible says in James 3, let me read this. Man, James is really a great book. Been quoting James more than anyone this day. James 3 says this, listen to this. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they might obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships of the sea. They're so large and they're driven by fierce winds, although they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, but it boasts of great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. You're complaining you're always sick and you always get sick and at this time of the year you're always sick and then at exactly as you've said, at this time of the year you always get sick. Your tongue defiles your body. 
I'm just scared of getting sick. I just hope I don't get that. I just hope I don't get cancer. I just hope I don't get diabetes. That runs in my family. Your tongue, not God, not the devil. Your tongue is defiling your body. And it's proven in modern science. They actually have proven it. That when you speak a thing, your brain releases neurons to go to work throughout your body to make you feel the way your mouth is speaking. If you confess weakness, your body will send out signals from your brain to be weak. If you confess weakness, you will be weak. If you confess fatigue, your body will get ready to be fatigued. If you confess sickness, your body will get ready to get sick. If you confess, I feel like I'm going to have a mental breakdown. I'm scared of having a mental breakdown. Your body will actually set itself up for a mental breakdown. That's why the Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. So don't just pray for God's strength. When you leave the prayer closet, talk strength. Talk as though God had already answered your prayer. Even if you feel weak. I thank you, Lord, that I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I thank you, Lord, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I thank you, Lord, that though I was weak, now I am strong. I thank you that your grace is sufficient for me. I thank you that your word says he gives power to the weak and he increases strength to them that lack might. I thank you that it's not by strength or by my own might, but by your spirit quickening my body that I'm gonna get the task done. I thank you that I'm not operating by my own power. No, I've got Holy Ghost power running through me and I'm gonna run the race that is set before me. I'm not gonna grow weary where others grow weary. I'm not gonna grow fatigued where others grow fatigued. I'm not gonna burn out where others burn out because I've got a quickening spirit in me. I don't just pray for that. I know that my God has answered my prayer, has received my request, and I'm strong. Hallelujah. Verse 10, James 3 says, I'll say verse 9, with it we bless our God and Father and with it, with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth, get this, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives and grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. Don't be snake-tongued. A snake has a tongue that splits. Because a snake says one thing but does another. A snake has two. They're deceiving. Their own. You know, that's what the Bible says. Don't just be hearers of the word only. Deceiving your own self. You hear the word, you pray the word, but then you start to speak things that contradict the word. You're deceiving your own self. You're acting a snake to your own life. You have a snake tongue. Cut the snake tongue out. Be single-minded. I didn't just pray for it. I'm walking in it. Jesus said that uh, if, the, if the tree is good, it'll bear good fruit. If the tree is bad, it'll bear bad fruit. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth bad things. And he says, he goes on to say, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. And by your words, you shall be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. So your words are either going to justify you in God's sight or they're going to condemn you. 
Your words are either going to water the seeds you've sowed in prayer or it's going to uproot the seeds you sowed, you sowed in prayer. Your word is eager, either going to release God's intervention as to what you've prayed for or it's going to bind God's hands and make him unable to intervene. <laughs> Numbers 14 says, As you have spoken in the hearing of my ears, so shall I do unto you. Number four, or number five rather, contradicting the prayers you pray by the words you speak. Bible talks about a figure named Zechariah in Luke chapter one. He was praying for his wife to conceive. They were old and bare, she was barren her whole life. He was an old man. <coughs> God sends an angel saying, Zechariah, the Lord has heard your prayer. You're gonna bring forth a son. He's gonna be called John. He's gonna be a great man. Anointed, he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. What does John, Zechariah say? How could it be? You know what the angel did? I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I've been sent to answer your prayer. But since you didn't believe, I'm going to shut your mouth up for the next nine months until John comes. Because the angel gave us a sign there. The angel taught us a lesson there. If the angel had not shut John's lip, uh, Zechariah's lips up, he would have continued to speak those unbelief, all that, those doubt-filled words, and it would have canceled the miracle. It would have canceled the miracle. So the angel shut his mouth up because he needed the plan of God to come through Elizabeth. And the only time his mouth came open was when the, the miracle got, was fulfilled. Don't have an angel have to put you mute every time because God wants to do something for you, but you keep speaking stupid things after you pray. Pray in alignment to the will of God and speak in alignment to the will of God. Number six, this is huge. Reasons why people don't have their prayers answered. Number six, praying beyond your faith. God, I just pray. I just pray that you would give me a billion dollars right now to, to pump into world missions so that I can be a blessing to this earth. You've never even believed God for $50 and you think your, your faith is at the level now where you can believe God for a billion dollars? Build your faith and pray in proportion to your faith. Don't pray beyond your faith. And the reason you know you're praying beyond your faith is there's still thoughts and doubt concerning that. Build yourself to the point where you can pray those extravagant things, but pray where you're at and be specific about it. Lester Sommel used to say, don't ask God for a seven-tiered cake when you've never believed him for a donut. Fill yourself with the word of God to the point where you can believe God for a hundred dollars before you start going to ask him for a hundred billion dollars. I've been praying for a billion dollars and the Lord hasn't done it. You've never even built yourself up to ask for a hundred bucks. Now you're going to get discouraged because God didn't put a hundred billion in your hands? People pray these prayers that are like, they're great and their heart is good in it because they, they understand, they know God is able to do far more abundantly all that we can ask, think, or imagine according to his power at work in us. We understand that God is big and he does answer and he responds in proportion to his ability and not our ability. God doesn't respond according to our resources and according to human possibility because then we wouldn't have to pray. If we could do it, why pray for it? He responds according to his ability, according to his resources, and according to his riches in glory. God is able to supply all our needs according to his riches in glory, not our riches in glory. I understand that. 
But build your prayer life up to the point where you can pray those prayers. Charles Finney didn't pray those prayers that were audacious and bold. At the start of his ministry, he developed himself to the point where he was able to build, to pray that in confidence. Because I want you to know something. It's not just what you say in prayer that gets God's attention. It's how you say it. Some people are praying level 1,000 prayers, in, but there's no boldness and there's no faith and there's no confidence in their heart. If you truly were unbiased and if you truly were honest, you would know that you never actually believed that God would do it. You just you spoke the right words, but you didn't have the heart-rooted conviction that God would do it for you. The Bible says we're not to waver from our confidence and confession. For he that promises faithful, we are... To, to not waver from our confidence. We are not to cast away our confidence. So pray to the level that you're confident to pray at. God, I pray that you'd give me a million dollar home. Your job that you have right now wouldn't even be able to supply a million dollar home. So why would God give you the electricity bill alone would burn you out? So why would God give you a million dollar home right now? You're praying beyond your faith. Romans 12 says we are to prophesy in, a, in proportion to our faith. Prophesy in proportion to our faith. There was a pastor once. He got up on a Sunday morning. He said, by this time next week, I'm going to have a keys to a, I'm going to have keys to a brand new home in hand. And all of you are going to see God's faithfulness. I'm telling you, by this time, ne by this time next week, I'm going to have my home, my dream home. Well, the next week came, he didn't have it. Two weeks later, he didn't have it. So he went to a, a Brother Sumrall, and it was in the same story. And he said, Brother Sumrall, I look like a fool. I don't even know how I can get up on the pulpit anymore. I, I, my con congregation doesn't even take me seriously anymore. I prophesied that I'd have a new home by the, that cer certain day, by this time next week, and I don't have that home. I still don't have my home. It's three weeks past, and people are starting to laugh and mock at me. And you know what Brother Sumrall said? Exactly what I just told you. Have you believed God for anything big like that before? No. Well, maybe believe God for a donut before you start to confess seven-tiered cakes publicly. Lord, I pray that you would just help me to preach to a hundred million souls in Jesus' name. Why don't you step out and preach to the three souls that are in your own home before you start to ask God for a hundred million souls? You know, I was in the Dominican Republic. I had a dream. I have a dream. I have a vision in my spirit to do Billy Graham crusades, Reinhard Bonnke crusades in America, in Canada, in North America. And I, I was at the beginning of this ministry. We didn't have the money to do any of that. So we would go to, you know, Gu uh, Guananico, Dominican Republic. We went to Peru. We went to Guatemala. We went to places where it was much cheaper to... Um, to do those crusades because I said you know I can't do it now in America and in Canada let me at least go and do it somewhere where I can win the loss I can reach souls I can evangelize and set up these crusades so I went I paid my own way did our own thing and then the Lord told me he rebuked me one year because I, I kept telling people one day we're going to do this in Canada one day we're going to do this in Canada the Lord told me go back to Canada and start where you're at now and I'll bless you from where you're at and I'll grow you and multiply you from the place that you're at and I'll I'll, I'll I'll mature you into that place that you see in your spirit, that that vision that I gave you. David killed the lion. David killed the bear. Then he moved on to kill Goliath. So he started. He was honest with himself. That's why the Bible says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, for God gave you a measure of faith. So I, I, 
I started where I was at. I didn't get myself in debt, renting the Bell Center in Montreal, signing a contract with absolutely no money to show, to, to, to actually pay and produce the money needed for that contract. I started where I was at. We did one in Saskatoon, rented a park. We, we have a budget. We started where we're, where we're at. I have a, a vision to see millions of people saved. But I'm not going to wait till I start seeing millions are never going to come until I start to act where I'm at now and reach the few that I can reach now. Despise not the days of small beginnings. Though your beginning small, your latter end will greatly increase. So pray. Don't despise the days of small beginnings in your prayer. Pray. God delights to see the work begin. God is not irritated when you pray for what you think are small things. Pray for those things. Don't pray beyond your faith. It's just going to frustrate you. Because as I've covered already, faith, uh, prayers are only honored by God when they're backed by faith. Faith is the key ingredient to answered prayer. So if you're just praying things, extravagant things, but you don't actually believe God in your heart, if you were honest with yourself that God's going to move on your behalf to do those things, you're just going to frustrate yourself. You're going to get discouraged. And what happens? You're going to throw in the towel and you're going to quit and say it never works. No, it does work. But God's a God of order. Follow his order. Grow with God. Mature with God. And you'll see, it won't take long before you start to call things into being that are not, that are extravagant. Number seven, and the final reason that I've written down that prayers go unanswered is your treatment of others highly affects how God treats you. We all know the, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would like others to do unto you. The, the cardinal rule of the Bible, the cardinal law, the royal law, James says, is love. The Bible says, if you love your neighbor, you fulfill the royal law. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I have faith so as to move every mountain, I have the faith and I can pray for mountains to move, like I've titled this broadcast, prayers that move mountains, but I have no love. It, it won't do anything. It won't work. It will not work. Faith worketh by love. So you can have faith in your heart, but if there's no love in your heart for others, for people, if you treat people like they're dirtbags, like they're the scum of the earth, then God is, it's going to hinder your prayer life big time. Bible says in Ephesians 6, 8, know this, that whatever good any man does for another, that same shall he receive from the Lord. When you do good to others, God will do good to you. It's, it's the golden rule. Water others, Proverbs eleven twenty four. He that waters others shall himself be watered. You want God to heal your body? You've been praying for him to heal your body? Why don't you start laying hands on people that are sick and praying for them to be well? And when you do that good to others, you'll find out as the healing virtue of God flows through you to affect others, you know, when you turn a tap on, it's the, nuz the muzzle of the tap that gets the taste of the water first, and then it's the cup. When you use your life as a vessel to help others, to bless others, you'll taste and see of that blessing first. You'll see of that blessing first. Isaiah 58. The Bible says the people of Israel were fasting and praying, but they were treating people like crap. Isaiah 58, listen to this. Go 
Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a, trum like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression, their sin. The house of Jacob, their sin. They seek me daily. They delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no, no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. You've exploited all your laborers. Indeed, you're fasting for trouble and for debate. You've struck people with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I've chosen? A day for a man to, to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush? To spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this day a fast? Like the Pharisees. The Bible says Jesus rebuked the, fa the Pharisees because they, they fasted twice a week. They had an appearance towards men that they were godly. The Bible says he rebuked them and said, you indeed seek to justify yourself before men, but you're wicked before God's eyes. Because they lay men with burdens too hard to bear. They themselves don't even bear it. And they put it on men's shoulders and crushed them. They were oppressors. Bitter people. Hateful people. Their hearts were filled with hate. Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. You're murderers from the beginning. You, the desires of your father, you seek to do. Well, what's the desire? What did the devil do? Accuser of the brethren. Constantly gossiping. Constantly speaking ill of others. You know, there's men of God like Kenneth Hagin. There's other men of God that I can name. That, that, that there were people around them that testified of those great men in 60 years of being an associate with them. In 50 years of being under his ministry. In 40 years of working for Brother Hagin. I've never heard him speak one word against another soul. That's a man of God. No wonder when he prayed before... Isaiah 58, you continue to read it. It says, then you will call and I will answer you. While you're yet in speech, I will answer. While you're yet in speech, God will already be kicking things into motion to bring to pass what you've been praying for. There is a class of people that before they even pray, God's already or ordering and arranging things for, the, uh, for their favor. Those are the people that walk in love. Though I have all the faith of this world, though I give all my goods to the poor, though I give my body to be burnt to the stake, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Without love, your faith is impoverished. Without love, your prayer life is futile. Without love for your fellow man, you're beating a dead horse. But when love is mixed in with your faith, it's a catalyst, an explosive force that produces the deepest desires of your hearts. God rebuked the Israelites in Isaiah 58. You're fasting. You think you're doing right, but you're acting as oppressors. Constantly tearing people down, never lifting anybody else, never a help to anyone. He said, is this not the fast that I've chosen that you should loose the bonds of wickedness? That you should let the oppressed go free. That you should do unto others what you're wanting me to do for you. The quickest way to gain victory in whatever you're struggling with today, to receive an answer to the prayers that you're praying today, is to be the answer to somebody else's prayer. 
Your treatment of others will highly affect how God will treat you. Let me run through quickly. I wrote down five keys now to receiving answers to prayer. And I'm going to run through them quickly. And then we're going to pray. Number one, enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Psalm 100 verses uh, four and five. I will enter his courts with praise and into his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Don't just re- like uh, ambush God. God, I need you to do this. No, take some time to before you ask him for anything until you've thanked God for yesterday's meal. You're not entitled to order something off his menu today. Until you thank God for the menu God's given you today, you're not entitled for a change of many, an upgraded menu. Thank God for where you're at now. You're not qualified to order anything off God's menu until you're seated. Because when you praise God, he seats you at his table, and then you can order anything off his menu, which is his word. But until you, just like I can't go into a restaurant and just, just order something at the front desk. No, I gotta, what? Be seated by the hostess or by the host. In the same vein, when you praise God, God seats you at his table and he hands you his menu and he waits on you. He waits on you. He, 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 he'll, 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 put, he'll, he'll deliver whatever you, whatever you desire from his word. He'll deliver. But you have to thank God. You have to make time for praise. Psalm 67 says, let the peoples praise thee. Let all the peoples praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase. Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus lifted his hands and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. Before he called Lazarus back from the dead, he thanked God that God heard him. Make a habit of thanking God, of praising God. If there's anything that you've lost, it's because of God that you've not lost anything. Make a habit of looking and focusing and zoning in on what you do have and praise God for what you do have and he'll add to what you have instead of complaining about what you don't have and that he'll subtract what you do have. Because Malachi 2 says very clearly that, uh, let me read it. This is actually a powerful scripture. Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. And now, O priests, and this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you'll not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I'll send a curse on you. I'll curse your blessings. I've cursed them already because you did not take it to heart. I'll rebuke your descendants, and I'll spread dung on your faces, the dung of your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. God said, if you don't lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, if you're just constantly making prayer a complaining session, where you just, God, I can't believe you didn't do this. I really need your help. And you just left me hanging. That doesn't get God's attention at all. It actually does the opposite. It releases a curse your way. But if you'll do like Paul and Silas did in the midst of a, of a dungeon being scheduled for execution the next day at the midnight hour when all hope was finally given up, Paul and Silas began to lift up hands and say, Father, we're going to praise you. You're a mighty God. Heaven, bow, heaven, heaven and earth adores you. Angels bow before you. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. As they began to praise God with voices loud and high, the other prisoners heard them and God sent an earthquake. It broke their chains. It unloosed their shackles. Every open, every prison door was open and they marched on free you'll find out when you enter God's gates with thanksgiving in your heart the very thing that worried you no longer worries you because when you begin to exalt God for who he is the problems of life become very small in comparison number two keys to answered prayer be specific and stand on God's word I dealt with this a bit before but be specific Jesus told the blind man what do you want me to do for you Lord that I might receive my sight 
He was blind. They didn't have Ray Charles glasses back then. He saw the creamy eyes. He saw the cloudy eyes. Jesus knew he was blind, but he still asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked the man at the pool of Bethesda, do you want to be made well? He was trying to get a specific confession out of him. Yes, Lord, we want to receive our sight. We want our sight. Yes, Lord, I want to be made well. If you want a job, ask him for a specific job. What kind of job do you want? Are you looking and you're believing God for a spouse? Ask God what kind of spouse. Don't just say whatever you want, whatever you see fit, Lord. Do you understand God delights in fulfilling the desires of your heart? God gave you a heart. God gave you desires. God gave you the ability to have desires because he wants to give you the desires of your heart. The Bible says, may the Lord fulfill all your purpose and grant you your heart's desires seek ye first the kingdom of god and everything else that people chase after god will give to you god is not a tyrant he's not an authoritarian dictator he loves you and he's put desires in your heart so you can ask him for it he can you can ask him for it and he'll give it to you and he'll not rebuke you for asking for those desires. It's religion that makes you feel bad for having desires. It's religion that makes you feel terrible for wanting something. God gave you a promise to show you that he wants you to have the thing that you want to have. Not for you to feel bad and say, oh Lord, there's worse things to lose than my eyesight and better things to gain. But Lord, I just pray whatever you see fit, you'd give. No, no. He, didn't, he doesn't teach praying cheap religious prayers like that. Therefore, what things soever ye desire, believe when you pray and you will have them. John 15, 7 says, if my word abides in you and you abide in my word, you will ask whatever you desire, whatever you want. If it be according to his word and he'll give it to you. So be specific. Locate the promise in the Bible and stand on it. Locate the promise. Be specific. If it's healing that you need, then go into the Bible, locate healing scriptures, bring God into remembrance and say, Father, thy covenant says, this is heaven's constitution. It's like the US has a constitution, heaven has a constitution. Judges cannot violate the constitution of the United States. God, the judge of all the earth and all heaven cannot violate his own constitution. Locate the promise, the thing that proves God wants you to have that thing. Bring him to remembrance and stand on the word. Even if the outward manifestation isn't immediate, even if the feelings don't feel good, even if your eyes and your ears and your touch and your smell and your senses are, 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 are showing you things contrary to what the Bible promises you can have, always side with the word and you'll never lose. Number three, understand your new creation reality. Understand that you're not a sinner. We're not approaching God as a sinner, as sinful, wretched, depraved humans that should be glad God even gives us a second of his time. We're approaching God as sons. Ye are a royal priesthood. Ye are a chosen generation. You are a special possession. Called forth to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his light. Who once were not the people of God, but now are the people of God. God didn't redeem you as a slave. God did not redeem you as some number in his system. He didn't redeem you as a servant. He didn't redeem you as some disposable object that irritates him. You were redeemed as sons. The Bible says 
that God has redeemed us as sons of God. The scripture says, as many as received Christ to them, gave he power to become children of God. The spirit testifies with our spirits that we are children of God. And a child, if you have a good father, you don't approach your child, uh, you don't approach your father, oh, dad, I, I mean, uh, if you could just uh, do this one thing. No, hey, dad, you think you can give this to me? Absolutely, son. That's You, you don't approach your, your father like he's some abuser, like he's some child abuser. You don't approach your father like he's some wicked man that anytime you ask him for something, he actually just slaps you over the head. Some people approach God like that. Maybe you had a father like that, but don't let that paint the picture of who God is. God's a good God. God has good things. Every good and perfect thing comes down from above the Father of life in whom there's no shifting shadow or variant of change. And when we approach our Father, Jesus, I love it, when Mary came and tried to grab him, tried to grip him, Jesus said, don't grip me, don't cling to me, Mary. I have to now go up to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The Old Testament, they couldn't call him Father. The world can't call him Father. To the world, God is God, but to me, he's Father. He's Abba Father, the Spirit of God prompting me to cry out, Abba Father. Abba is an Aramaic term of endearment for a father. It's like saying Daddy. Abba, he's not just some distant, unrelatable God, some, uh, uh, some, 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 careless figure in the skies he is a loving father a good father and we approach him on the basis of our new creation now that we're no longer sinners we're a new creation created in christ jesus the bible says old things have passed away i'm not coming in intimidated by my past sins I'm not reminded of my past sins. I don't care what the devil tries to accuse me of. My slate is clean. God has pressed delete on the records in my history that I had before Christ. God deleted it. The blood of Jesus rewrote my history. I have a blank slate now. He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf. I'm now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When I come before God, I come as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't come as some... Uh, feeling bad for myself for everything I've ever done. and God, I know everything I've done. I shouldn't even really be asking you this, but I just need your help. No, I don't come before God like that. When I got saved, that's how I came before God. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. God saved me. Now when I approach him, I approach him in royalty. I approach him as a son. I approach him as one who's not going to be kicked to the curb. One who's not going to be blocked at the gate. I come before him with thanksgiving in my heart. I have direct access to the king of kings, to the Lord of lords. And he said, if you'll call unto me, I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things. Understand your new creation reality. The old man has been done away with. We've put on the new man, which is created in righteousness, truth, and in holiness. Number four, pray with expectation. Pray with expectation. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we can ask, think, or imagine. Pray that with the expectation that God is going to answer your prayer. Psalm 62 says that uh, my soul wait thou upon God for mine expectation is from him. If you're praying and not expecting God to do anything, why waste your breath? Pray with the expectation that God is going to move on your behalf. 2 Kings 3, Elisha said, Make this valley full of ditches. And though you don't see rain and though you don't see wind, the valley will be filled with water. I'm going to cause water to come. Those people, they could have built, they could have dug three ditches and they would have had three ditches full of water. They could have dug five ditches, they would have had five ditches full of water. God Listen to this. Pay special attention to this. God didn't leave 
the result in his hands. God left the result of their prayers in their hands based on their expectation in how many ditches they dug. If they dug three ditches, they'd have three ditches full of water. If they had done dug 10 ditches, they would have had 10 ditches full of water. God threw the ball in their court. Your expectation is going to set the pace for your miracle. You want big things? Have big expectation. You want small things? Have a little expectation. But the ball's in your court. You limit God based on how much you expect from him. God is unlimited in power. God is unlimited in resources. But if God is ever limited, and if we ever think he's limited, he's only limited by the limitations of our own unbelief and lack of expectation. Do you expect me to do this? Jesus told the blind man, yes, Lord. Then as your faith is, so be it unto you. You set the pace. You set the standard of excellence in how great the miracle is by the expectation you have and you pray. I'm not digging three ditches. I'm going to dig as many ditches as my faith allows me to dig. I'm going to go hard. Elisha told them, King, take the arrow, strike it to the ground. He struck it three times. Elisha said, you idiot. You should have struck it five times, six times, seven times. I would have destroyed your enemies because as many times as he struck it, that was as many as many blows God was going to give to the enemies of Israel. He did it three times. He had faith for three. Elisha said, you should have done it five or six. You would have, God would have totally annihilated your, your enemies. Why believe God for much when you can believe him for most? Why believe God for the minimum when you can go full throttle and receive maximum? He's the unlimited God. The God of all flesh is anything too difficult for him. He told Sarah when she was 89 years old, and he told Abraham, I'm gonna, by this time next year, Sarah will conceive. Sarah laughed. God told Sarah, why is it that you're laughing? She said, I didn't laugh. God replied, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for him? That old song, oh Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for him. He can open up blind eyes. He can unstop deaf ears. He can open up bodies of water so that nations walk through on dry ground. He can tear down physical walls without the help of man, without the help of wind, without the help of anything. One angel in the Old Testament released killed 185,000 of Israel's enemies. If that's what one angel can do, what can a legion of angels surrounding you everywhere you go do for you today? So expect big. Pray with expectation. And number five, keys to answered prayers, is develop a habit of praying in other tongues. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought to pray sometimes. But the Spirit prays through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. The Bible says the Spirit helpeth us in our prayer weaknesses. I'm telling you, if you don't pray by the Spirit, your prayer life is going to suffer. It's very hard. I've done it before. You pray without praying in tongues. You just like jump into prayer, jump into gear too early. And then all of a sudden, you've prayed for your family. You've prayed for your job. You've prayed for your kids. You've prayed for, you've prayed for you know, God would bless this year. You've prayed... And then you're looking at your watch, it's like a minute and one, a half a minute, minute and a half. Goodness gracious. Jesus wants me to do half an hour, an hour of this every day? 
How am I going to make it through? Because remember, he told the disciples, couldn't you stay up with me with one hour? So when you don't pray by the Spirit, it can be very laborsome. It can be very tired, uh, tiring and, and, and fatiguing. It could be, it could be like a, a, a dreadful practice. You'd write, <laughs> people that don't pray by the Spirit and then they feel like convicted to go and pray, all of a sudden, they're like, you know, I haven't filed my taxes for the last 18 years. And they go and do things. They, why? Because the Spirit is what gives life to your prayer. The Holy Ghost. The Bible says pray at all times under every, in every occasion under the power of the Holy Ghost. Jude 1.20 says, Beloved, pray always in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up in your most holy faith. So that's why the baptism in the Holy Ghost is extremely important. Because when you get baptized in the Spirit, God gives you that prayer language. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14, He that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. You're charging yourself up. You're building yourself up and you'll find out actually, even if you didn't know what to pray for, or maybe you, you knew what to pray for, but you didn't know how to pray for it. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, you'll actually receive transmissions from your spirit because God communicates to us via our spirit. His spirit in our spirit communicating us to our minds the thoughts of God. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, he'll bring uh, thoughts, scriptures, stirred up in your spirit to know exactly how to pray for that specific situation. He'll bring pertinent scriptures that deal with the situation you're dealing with so that now you're loaded with the ammunition of his word to fire off the gun of prayer and hit the target of results every single time. Praying the Holy Ghost, it, it edifies you. It charges your prayer batteries up so that prayer is not... Father, we just come to you today. We just ask you for this. And Father, and there's a fire in your bones, like Jeremiah said, that cannot be shut out. Paul said it this way. Pray without ceasing. The way you pray without ceasing is by praying in the Holy Ghost. It charges you up. So your prayer life actually has, there's life to it. There's vibrancy. There's vitality to it. You're not praying these religious de dead prayers. Well, Father, we just pray, if it be thy will, we just ask you. And all that dead religious mon monotonous voice. Instead, Father, I thank you that the fire on this prayer altar will never go out. I thank you, Lord, that as I pray in the Holy Ghost right now, everything that I need to pray for and everything... And, and the, the way to pray for those things is being charged into my spirit. When you start to pray in the Holy Ghost, God will download into your spirit. It, sometimes people you need to pray for. And then all of a sudden they'll come to you and say, they'll say, man, the other day at this hour, I just felt the worst pain come on me. And then you realize, man, that's the exact hour I was praying. And you were, you're bailing people out. You don't even know you're bailing people out. That's what you do in the, when you're praying in the Holy Ghost. The Bible says when you pray in the, in the Holy Ghost, you're praying according to the exact will of God. So when you don't know what God's will is concerning something, maybe you've never even encountered a specific situation. Pray in the Holy Ghost and you'll download His will into your heart and you'll pray exactly according to His will. And remember, when you pray according to His will, we always know that He answers us. If we pray according to His will, 1 John 5, 14, He hears us and if He hears us, we know that we have, we have the request of which we've asked of Him. That's why you should seek the baptism in the Holy Ghost. If you're watching now, I have a video on it. Receiving the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You should go on my YouTube and, and research that. Uh, there's an archive video on that. And you'll receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost from that video. 
You'll get filled and speak with other tongues. Well, do we really need to speak in tongues? Yeah, it's going to help you. Absolutely, you need to speak in tongues. It's not, a, it's not a privilege for a select few elite. It is for everybody. They that believe, they shall speak with new tongues, Jesus said. Jesus obviously thought it was important. Paul dedicated several chapters in the New Testament to it. He actually said, I pray in tongues more than you all. And Paul never had prayers go unanswered. Paul always had answered prayer everywhere he went. Prayed for the dead, they came back to life. Prayed for the sick, they were healed. Prayed for revival, he had revival. Everywhere he went, he was a, a prayer machine. And he didn't pray with, he, he prayed without season. And he had results without season as a result. Father, I pray for everyone watching right now, all 180 that are on Facebook and YouTube, that have kept to this broadcast, desiring to have a change of level in their private prayer life. I ask you, Lord, that the keys that were given out today would thoroughly equip them for the good work of prayer. That from today, no matter how frustrating it's been up until now, some that have hung on a thread, ready to give up, prayed all these years and it's never yielded me anything. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. That today, what they were doing wrong would be conveyed to them. And Lord, that a plan of action would be given to them to shift that thing, change that thing in their own lives, in their own prayer lives. And as they change, as they're obedient to you, as they apply these scriptural keys for answered prayers, for effective praying, Lord, I pray that you do exactly like you did in James 5. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man would bring forth many wonderful results. As they implement these key switches, that things they've prayed for for 10 years would suddenly be answered. I ask you, Lord, that the prayers they pray, even from this broadcast, after this broadcast, today, as they set time aside to pray, Lord, I ask you, that things that have gone unanswered for 10 years would come to pass in 10 days. Not by might, not by strength, but by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're watching today, there is a qualification to pray. And I said it Several times throughout this broadcast, you have to put sin away. You have to get right with God. If you're living in sin and living a lifestyle of sin, you're living in direct opposition to God. And God, the Bible says, He can't walk hand in hand with those that are dedicated to the path of sin. You have to break free. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto men. It's the way that ends in death. And there's a broad way that leads to destruction. But there's another way in life, the way of life, the way of righteousness in its pathway. There is no death. If you've been living a life of sin, I'm not here to beat you down. I'm not here to crucify you. They already crucified Christ for that sin that you've entertained. But he didn't get crucified so you can continue on living in sin, continue on living in bondage and in, in affliction and in oppression to the devil, but rather that you might be set free. You don't have to continue down this path. And it's not you trying to be better. It's God at work in you and through you to accomplish his good pleasure and his will in you. It's not you, well, I'll get my life together and then I'll come to God. You won't do it. There'll never be a time. If, we, if I had that mentality, I would have never come to God. I came to Him when I was weary and heavy laden, when I was burdened down by sin, when there were things in my life I couldn't break free from. I came to Him and Jesus did the work. Jesus set me free. The Bible says you shall know the truth. And you are truly my disciples if you know my truth and you walk in my truth. And the truth that you know and walk in will set you free. It's not enough just to know the truth. You have to walk in the truth. The way you can do that today, if you've lived a life away from God, if you feel distant from God, far from God, and sin is still alive in you, 
and you're not right with God, and there's a question mark whether you're saved. Now is not a time in 2021, given the, the climate, economically, climate, the, the, not economically, the, 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 the climate of this world, the, the, the spiritual climate of this world, the way things are going on this earth. Jesus is coming back. Now is not a time to gamble with your eternal salvation. Get right with God. Settle your account with heaven today. Get rid of sin before sin gets rid of you. Make today the day where I come off. I come out of the, the, the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. I'm not serving the devil any longer. I'm not serving sin. I'm no longer going to be a slave to sin. I'm joining Jesus today. I'm coming to the camp of the overcomers. I'm breaking free from sin. And I'm never turning back. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me from the bottom of your heart. Say this out loud. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I give my life to you. I turn to you today. Where I was weak, make me strong. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Wash me by your blood. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. Heaven is my home. God is my Father. And I'll never turn back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. If you can click that and fill it out, there's a video at the bottom of the page. It's about a 30-minute video of four things that I would tell you personally. If we could talk one-on-one -on -one right now, if, we could, if I could take it to a back room now, and we just talked, and I wanted to help you out. These are the four most vital things that I would tell you um, as, as you've begun this new walk with Christ. And they're going to guarantee and ensure that you succeed. That you, This isn't just a blip on the radar or some moment of ecstasy in life, but that... Today marks a new beginning for you, a new chapter where you and God write off the final chapters of your life, where it's not you, you know, when God writes a story, the story always ends well. It's not going to be, and the story of the righteous never ends disastrous. The story of the righteous always ends glorious. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you and until next time.